Uh, yeah, so my name is uh, Che Jim. I am um, I am from Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm uh, Danae and Odawa on my mom's side. Um, I am the head of the board directors for a organization that I founded a few years back. It's, um, it's, it's called Healing Arrows, Indigenous Social Justice and Wellness. Um, I also uh, have been in the past involved with uh, uh, activism. So I spent some time up at a, at a Standing Rock and even the whole story about how like Healing Arrows started was actually like, it actually like, um, was born out of a, a previous um, a previous organization that we had started uh, that was called uh, the Big Mountain the Big Mountain Sustainable Housing and Land Development Program. Um, so we did work there. Uh, I've also been in um, in wellness and uh, sobriety. So um, we, uh, as an organization, we we focused around that a little bit. And just from personal experience, it's something that I. I struggled with for uh, for a period of time in my life, and um, I've gone out and worked with a few uh, rehabilitation centers throughout the country, including the state of Washington um, and in Arizona, um, working with Native clientele to overcome addictions through more traditional means. Uh, so I've done that, and um, yeah, it just kind of we have a we have like a community here that we that we have, and um, kind of working on on uh, educating and um, uh, about indigenous issues and culture. So um, yeah, that's just a little bit about myself. Um, and I, as you know, I do have a pretty decent uh, social media presence. I have a, a, a Facebook account that, that was kind of politically driven for a long time and um, and also a content creator over on TikTok. So, um, but yeah, that's a little bit about myself. So are you a tribal member? I am. I am. I am enrolled in the uh, in the Navajo Nation, uh, the Western Agency at the uh, Torchini Chapter House, which is in Tuba City, Arizona. Uh, I actually lived there for for a, a, a little bit when I was younger. I lived uh, out in the reservation there in Tuba City for uh, for a number of years. And um, but I go back all the time. Obviously, born and raised. I lived right outside the reservation bounds in Flagstaff. It's probably about 10, 15 minutes away from the reservation. So. Um, but yeah, yeah, enrolled uh, enrolled there, there at the chapter house in Tuba. What I think is really awesome is being able to meet other natives from other reservations, other tribes, and kind of seeing the the differences and like the contrast between different tribes. So I understand that Danae, you guys go by like clans, right? We do. Yeah. We have a pretty extravagant clan system. <laughs> I've, uh, I've again, I've met a lot of native people, a lot of indigenous people all all, all across the country, and uh, I definitely feel like the uh, the Diné, the Navajo clanship system is, is pretty complex. It's actually pretty, pretty hard to understand, but, uh, but yeah, we actually have, uh, every person is born with uh, four, four different clans, um, two from your mother and two from your father. It's like they're, they're, uh, they're primary and secondary, I guess is the best way to put it. And that get passed on to the children. So because my father is uh, full-blooded Navajo, my mother is, uh, isn't Navajo at all. I carry, uh, I carry two, Two of those clans, and which would be uh, Totochitni, with the which is a Bitterwater clan, and uh, the Bethlehem, which is um, Black Sheep, Black Sheep clan. Um, and one of the interesting things too about the clanship system is that we actually have a clan for people of Mexican descent. So people who have uh, indigenous indigenous roots in Mexico, uh, because we're in Arizona, we're so close to 
uh, modern day Mexico that we actually had a clan specifically for them because of our trading and our, our inter intermingling between the uh, between the nations and they call them um, the Bethlehem. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, that's black sheep. Sorry. No, it's um, um, oh, I can't remember the name now. Give me a second. Um, I'm sorry, Nakaidene. Sorry, <laughs> Nakaidene, uh, which is people of the south. So, uh, my on my mother's side, I uh, I have that I have that as well. So, in uh, traditional terms, I'm I identify as that as well. So, just so our listeners know, he actually put his fingers to his forehead thinking about this. <laughs> so I could tell that this is like really complex, like you said, and having to really think about it, and. Yeah. If I go back into my own lineage and my bloodline and, and things, I have a little bit of Navajo in me. Like it shows up on my my CIB really? my certificate of Indian blood. And mm -hmm. I have no idea about that. So don't don't ask me that. Because I did have <laughs> one girl uh, message me on Instagram. She's like, Oh, what clan do you come from? I'm like, um, well, my last name's Shipping Tower. She's like, No, 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 your clan. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. So I I mean, I'm still terribly please be patient with me. I don't know what that means. So I thought it was really interesting meeting more Diné people in this type of work and hearing about the clans because most tribes for the Pacific Northwest, we just have like families. And then you have your extension of all the other families that you kind of right. come down from. Um, and for my family, like Shippen Towers, there was four main ones and they kind of just branched out to different tribes like Warm Springs, Yakima, Umatilla, and up towards like Seattle area. I forget which tribe, but um, then they kind of really just branched out for there. So for us, it's just family names, which is really easy to remember. So I was just mm -hmm. watching your face kind of just like scrunch <laughs> up trying to remember wait what are they all called so even for someone who is Danae I can see how just a, a lot of uh, branches that come from that so something else that I'd see actually one other question your tribal member do you have a, an Indian name do you have an Indian name um I do um uh, but it's it's honestly it's, it's one of those things that you know I think it's uh uh kind of a special thing to share at certain times but yeah no we we definitely we definitely have we definitely have indian names and um uh but yeah it's it's uh it's something that i kind of keep to myself a little bit but yeah we have them that's really cool and i absolutely respect that and you know even for us for our tribe for umatilla um which has been a really big thing especially since covid has happened i don't know if it's the same for um, like Southern natives, uh, it seems like right now everybody's really pushing to get their Indian names. It is sort of a ceremonial mm -hmm. uh, ordeal for us here in the in the Longhouse. We call it Washet. That's our our religion, and I I really um, I do my best to try to educate people because there's too often right now the word spirit animal being thrown around or. Yeah my tribe sort of thing with mm -hmm. um non-tribal people thinking it's kind of funny and like oh yeah that's my spirit animal and i'm like well you don't really understand the the significance behind why people have said spirit animal before or where people's uh indian names come from so that that's the reason why i ask is because we we haven't been able to kind of cover that here but for us in um our ceremonial ways it's how we get called to on the other side so if we don't have one then we're kind of wandering so i was just curious about that because obviously different tribes different almost different cultures once you start going to different areas in the country uh, another thing that i've seen that you've kind of posted about is that you're a veteran i am so tell me I about am. that experience what was that like for i have a couple cousins who went into the service and it was very interesting to hear how their um, experience was 
You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, and I get people asking me all the time, everyone asks me all the time, because of my activism, because of my involvement with, um, with a lot of our indigenous issues, obviously, are in conflict with the uh, United States government. And uh, so I've had a lot of people ask me that over the years. And, uh, you know, I come from a family of veterans. So my father, my brother, my, 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 I got two or three cousins and my uncle, in fact, even my grandfather, my grandfather and all, I think four of his brothers all fought in the second world war. And um, so it's, I come from a family of veterans. And even when I was growing up, um, I grew up with, Again, my, my, my father, for instance, is a, is a Vietnam veteran. So when I was growing up, I was literally in a household where that's just what the culture was. Like it was very, it was very military. Uh, I grew up with that kind of stuff all around me. We'd watch, you know, movies all the time. And my dad would constantly, you know, tell me and these stories and, you know, and for Navajo people, I think it's uh, especially interesting because because of our, uh, and because the, the, uh, the code talkers, the code talkers in World War II. And for anyone who doesn't know, the uh, Navajo code talkers were a, a, uh, a group of uh, Navajo speaking individuals who were taken, they took the language of the Navajo people and implemented it for code in the, in the Pacific against the Japanese. And it's, to this day, it's even, it's still regarded as the unbreakable code because it's the only code in military history that's never been broken. And it's, it's, it's a huge badge of pride uh, amongst the Navajo people. Like I grew up seeing all these code talkers and I kind of, I look back on it, I'm like, man, I really wish I would have appreciated that more. But when I was young, because I was so much around military all the time, it didn't seem abnormal to me to be around, you know, code talkers. Uh, but now that I'm older and, and that we're losing, losing them, uh, I think, um, we've lost almost all of them, uh, I believe. And, you know, uh, so I really wish I would have taken more of an opportunity to get to know them, but I was obviously, you know, 10, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was very young. And so, but I did have the honor of meeting, meeting a few of them, but so the, uh, for novel people was especially growing up, uh, so many of, of, of us, uh, end up joining the service, um, as, as a means not only to honor the, the, the co-talkers, but also as a, as a, as a warriorship, you know, a lot of our warrior societies are, are currently are, are kind of focused now in modern day terms, they're focused around military service um, in one of the, one of the branches of the, of the, of the U.S. military. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I had a lot of people ask me that, that, that question and, you know, quite honestly, again, I can't really answer that 100%. It was just a calling that I had when I was very young. And like, I remember even when I'd be at school and they would, they would ask the kids like, hey, what do you guys want to be when you grow up? My answer was always, I wanted to be an army man. Like I wanted to, I wanted to join the military. And so after, uh, after high school, I did, uh, I did, I did enlist. Uh, I served in the, uh, I served in the military uh, in the army. And uh, the experiences uh, were pretty, were pretty profound. Um, in, in a lot of different ways, my military experience wasn't, to be honest, wasn't the wasn't the, the most positive experience in the world. But it did teach me a lot of things that I felt I needed at the time: a lot of discipline, um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, self motivation, you know, determination, those kind of things. I think it really helped me in that sense. But there was also, you know, uh, because of the activism that followed, it was there was a lot of a lot of uh, kind of internal conflict about that. But I've, I, as of recent time, I've really come to peace with it. And I understand that it's just, it is what it is. And, um, you know, 
uh, you talk to any native family out there, basically you're going to, you're going to see almost every single family has that, has that, uh, has that, uh, that military background and somewhere in their family. It's, it is a very, it is a very big thing amongst native people. And I think it's surprising to a lot of non-natives when they realize that, that, uh, that we have that. Cause I think, uh, amongst native people, um, I think we have the, we have the highest enlistment rate of any ethnic group in the country for, you know, per capita, like we, we enlist more than anyone else. We have the highest record of, um, um, uh, honorable discharge and the, and the, and, and the lowest mortality rate, you know, um, it's, we're, we're, we, we come from warrior backgrounds. We're come from, we're a warrior people. Every indigenous community has warrior people and, uh, it's cultural, you know, it's not, it's not just something that we say, there's a whole spectrum and there's a whole like inner underlying meaning, almost spiritual meaning to that word. And so, you know, I was honored to be, to be a part of that and walk that path for myself. And uh, again, I've really come to terms with it come to peace with it at this point in my life. Um, but yeah, I did, I did, uh, I did join, um, got out in around 2010 and, uh, you know, I've used that experience throughout my life. That is absolutely amazing and 110% commendable. And you're right is Native American people, we have this natural ability to be in such a, I don't want to say fighter spirit, it, it is that warrior spirit. Um, we're very good at protecting our own and whatever definition that might mean for some people, it might mean your people, it might mean uh, this land, it might mean your culture in all these different ways. So I think that's probably the really big driving force for indigenous and native people is that's what grounds us is being able to protect and that's what makes us so strong and so resilient and like you said the lowest mortality rate when people are being sent overseas I think we just kind of you know have that that natural combative warrior sense to us and I think a lot of us in native country are have always been really drawn to do things like that I, I know I had a little bit of tug at my heart my grandpa served in the military. He was in Navy World War II. And it's always been something I've really loved about our family is that we do have that, that militant background. There's a lot in my entire family of almost every single branch my family has served in. And, but, you know, I reached that point where I was, I wasn't being the smartest of people, so I couldn't enlist and it really bummed me out. But then I picked the next best thing, which was uh, MMA and fighting yeah. in that sort of sense. So um, we're still able to hold that warrior spirit. But like you said, when we start getting into this activism work, it does get for some people, it's a little contradicting. They're like, well, if you're sitting here trying to fight the system and all these uh, issues that are going on for native people, but you you stood here and you're, you served your country. And I think some people really, for me, from for what I see and how I think of like why my grandpa did it and why my aunts and my uncles went and served is because naturally this we're the original people of this land. So right. if we feel as though it's our call and our duty to protect it, then we'll do that regardless of who's in this country now. And that's kind of what I tell people is we're still trying to preserve whatever we do have. So that activism work coming into play is still that type of work. It's just an, a different approach. We all have the same end goal, the same objective in mind. It's just the approach is different for each person. And then there's nothing to say that our approach to it can't change. Right. Right. Absolutely. There's a really good documentary I watched not too long ago, actually. It's called um, it's called The Warrior Tradition. Um, I think it was like a PBS documentary. Don't quote me on that, but it's some. It's it, it, it's a documentary that aired not too long ago, actually. 
I want to say within the last couple of years, but the warrior tradition, it's a documentary that kind of outlines um, native, it will highlights native veterans and it talks, it, that's what the whole documentary is about. It's just about native veterans and their role in the, uh, in the military. And a lot of them express that exact same, exact same thing. And I can relate to that because that's how I, exactly how I saw it. You know, I was like, you know, regards, like you said, it's regardless of who's here right now, uh, where my ancestors are buried here. You know, and so if this if if this land is, is something that is to be fought for, then I'm going to I'm going to do it regardless of, you know, anything like that as well. And, you know, um, and I've also, you, you know, that military experience has come through and I'm, I'm thankful for it in this sense, because I was watching the same thing. I was watching something. I can't remember where I saw it, but it was a it was a clip from uh, from Wounded Knee during the occupation of Wounded Knee with AIM back in the 70s. And they were talking about that. And at that time, a lot of those people who were there were Vietnam veterans. They're from Vietnam. You know, a lot of them were. And they did a little tidbit on that on that uh, clip that I watched where they talked about that. And uh, one of the guys said that, you know, the um, the military taught him how to how to fight, you know, how to stand up and how to and, and now he's taken that experience and now implementing it and, and using it for the benefit of his people and for the rights of indigenous people all across the country. And so, you know, he found peace in that sense. And I can relate to that because it was very similar for me, you know, when I got, when I got back and, you know, fast forward a few years, I found myself uh, in, in Standing Rock. I was part of the Standing Rock thing for about six months. Um, I was there for up until the very end. Uh, and and uh, I definitely used that experience then um, to help us, um, you know, fight for our, for, for our water and our future generations. It's something that definitely came into play. And so, you know, I tell people that all the time. Like I, I, I use it for, 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 for our people. So it's been, um, it's been a, a big full circle of healing for me in that sense. You know, when I was able to use that for my people, I kind of, that's when, that's when the moment where I found peace with it. I think something that's hard for people to understand is that full circle that you're talking about. And I'll bring this back around because of a, a huge thing that happened last year for 2020. It was almost a like a, a definitive mark on the year outside of COVID. But what was it like for you being there at Standing Rock? Because I, I remember I so badly wanted to be there because, of course, mm -hmm. the activism in me, the fighter in me wants to be there to keep continuing this fight for just the most sacred thing that we have, which is water. But pregnant and I was told no you need to keep your butt home like don't be trying to go over yeah, there doing yeah. all these things but what was it like given your your history and your past experiences and then of course having that military background what was it like standing on that side and then seeing the military and law enforcement coming at you guys um you know I, I think at first off it was it was it was everything that you thought it would be and it was a lot of things that you didn't think it was going to be I mean obviously the point of the camp was to, was to, was to, uh, was to stop the pipeline. It was to stop the Dakota access pipeline. And, you know, um, there was a peaceful, prayerful direct action that we took, um, took at that time. And, you know, it was, uh, it did get confrontational and, and it got violent and, you know, there, there are definitely a lot of those things. And that's kind of what I was expecting when I first went there. Like I, I'd seen, the news i'd seen the clips i'd seen all the independent media and all the people on social media who were kind of documenting what's going on there and so and i actually went there on on behalf of um that 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 precursor organization that i was talking about the big the big mountain sustainable housing and land development program because at that point they were getting ready for winterization 
they were getting ready to uh, last this camp to last through the winter, which was obviously going to be the huge hurdle for anyone who's camping. Like any, that, that's the challenge. Winter is the challenge, especially in North Dakota. It is very cold up there. So um, that was uh, that was why I went. You know, uh, because our organization kind of specialized in su- sustainable housing and um, sustainable living. Um, that's why we went. Um, because our program and the way that it was that we had ran it up until that point. It was for Big Mountain, which Big Mountain is a section of the of the uh, uh, of the Navajo and, and Hopi reservations out in Arizona, and that's where a lot of our that's what our program was aimed in that area. So when it came to like people who were donating, we obviously wanted to use it for what for that. So we ended up coming with this other program that was Healing Arrows which is kind of a blanket one that we use to absorb the other one to help free us so that we can, we can lend a hand over there in Standing Rock. And so that was, that's the reason why that I went, but uh, was to help out there. But as soon as I got there, it was an immediate, like, this is something special. Like I got there and it was not entirely what I expected. It was definitely a community and not just a camp it was there were these people who were there had literally contributed their entire lives at that point to this cause to stop to, to stop the pipeline and preserve the water for you know 30 million people downstream so um but it really served as an activation ground it was a place where it wasn't just about the pipeline like when you were there you learned about all because you know that's the first time in, in modern history that we can document that all all recognized tribal nations were represented every single one of them was there that camp at its largest was almost 10,000 strong so I mean you had representatives from all over the place and I heard I got educated on so many issues I I learned about things that I'd never even heard of before and I saw the parallels and the differences between those things as well and so it was a it was quite an experience and 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 standing across from that as as a veteran um Staying across from that with the police forces and the National Guard and and, and the security forces that 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 Dapple had was a little was a little surreal to be honest. Um, but at the same time, you know, coming from that military background, I really understood the mindset there. And I remember standing there on on the lines um, and 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 speaking to some of those young men and uh, and women that were on the other side, and I would let them know um, that I I have nothing against them. You know, you're young you're young and, 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 and you're doing what you, what, what you think right now is the right thing to do. But, you know, I, I would tell them right then and there that I've been in your shoes. Like I know the mindset and when you go home tonight, know that we don't hate you. I, I don't hate you. No one here hates you. You know, um, you're not our enemy. It's, it's, it's the pipeline. It's, it's, it's the destruction of mother earth that we're really standing against. And, and that, uh, and I encourage them to don't ever let, the military or any type of organization strip you of your beliefs and your morals and take the time to, to grow yourself, you know? And I remember saying that to a particularly young man that I, I can't, I don't know who he was, but I remember standing in front of him and telling him that and saying, you know, and I remember seeing like the tears well up in his eyes because I was telling him like, I don't want you to go home thinking that we all hate you. And I want you to go home and educate yourself. I want you to go home safe. I want you to have clean water too. And that's why we're here. And uh, I hope one day you're stand with us, you know, one day that that this doesn't create any type of hate in, in you that that, you know, because when when you're in when you're in the military and you and, and someone and you label someone as an enemy, 
the first the thing that 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 and that, and, I, and it's it's an it's a natural transition, but it's a transition that that teaches you to see those people across from you as 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 not human, as not people, because it makes the job easier. It makes it easier to go home at night um, knowing because we had children at camp, we had women at camp. Like I'm I'm sure the solve some of them had families. Like I know that, and um, I didn't want I didn't want them to. Um, to struggle with that any more than they were going to. And so, you know, I've never had anything against that. I've never had anything against that. And I think, you know, I, and some people might disagree with that, but this is just coming from my personal perspective. And uh, because I had that background, because I've been in their shoes. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Enlisting, you're essentially signing up to take orders from someone. So when Correct. you're in the military, you're, you're having to take orders, but I am, 100% positive that these kids that are enlisting and during that time or any time when we're going through some sort of um, crisis in our country is that they're not signing up for a duty like that. They're not thinking that they're going to have to stand on their homeland and take orders against these men, women, and children. They're thinking, I'm probably going to get deployed overseas or something and be fighting something over there. I don't think any of them ever in their mind thinks they're going to have to be stationed here and be ready to fight and do the things that they had to do. So that's a really, really interesting perspective that I don't think many people have taken into consideration that they too are human. And it's just trying to figure out how to coexist when really horrible situations happen. And I bring this back around because I come from a family of law enforcement and I myself am wanting to pursue a career in law enforcement just because I'm I'm kind of on the side of like our our system here in this country is really really messed up but do I want to sit here and whine and cry about it or do I want to actually take action and do something so I felt like with my fighting background activism a little bit might be able to do something in law enforcement especially when it comes to MMIR and movements like that and then also having my husband who is a police officer and his job is essentially to protect our treaty rights and being able to um, help our tribal members continue hunting and continue exercising their rights and keeping our culture preserved the best that we can and ensuring that non-tribal members won't violate our rights by coming onto tribal land and doing whatever it is that they're trying to do. So last year in 2020, of course, everybody knew COVID was going on, but then BLM happened. So when more protests and March started happening to be like Black Lives Matter and everybody was doing that whole movement, I was totally behind it because I, I underst understand the idea because I'm indigenous, but I also have an, an Afro-Indigenous son. So I want him to understand he can be proud of that side of his blood as well. But when we showed up to this protest, my husband was out of uniform and on the other side, they had an opposing protest. And this was supposed to be the blue lives matter. They had Trump flags and everything. And when he's walking down the street, my husband looks very native. He has long hair and he's very dark. And when we're walking through, obviously I'm wearing like my natives design clothing. I look native, like when yeah. I go places. So they, most people in this town know who I am. So they're already looking at me kind of like, okay, this native girl, but then they're looking at my husband the same way. And he's like, it was so awkward and so weird because I'm not in uniform and who they're standing to try to support is law enforcement, but they treated me that way because I wasn't in my uniform. So it got really weird because it's like, you guys are wanting to support law enforcement, but once you see one that's not in uniform, you don't know who he is really. And you're going to treat him that way with this already just judging a book by its cover. Right. It, it was really frustrating because my husband's like, I don't want that type of support. I really don't like, I don't want these kind of people telling me that like my life matters more than 
uh, another ethnicity, this is ridiculous. So for our small corner of Oregon, that got really weird. So it's it's not exactly the same thing, but from an activism point of view and then looking at law enforcement and then military people and understanding just the experiences that you can take from both sides. I'm kind of just still in this whole zone of why can't we all just be nice and kind human beings? <laughs> <laughs> what what happened to all this? Yeah, it seems so, to be more difficult than you think it would be. Yeah, just yeah be- it, it's like, why is it so complex and why are the, all these issues? But um kind of segueing out of that into the next part, I do want to say I definitely appreciate your service and I know a lot of other people do. So I understand the sacrifice it takes to step away from your home and then to take on all the other things it does joining the military. So thank you so much for that. So a little bit lighter note, because you're talking about movies and I'm like, okay, obviously he's a movie buff. He watches all these movies, but I don't think a lot of people know because I had to do some research and I, and I am like excellent at Google. You're an actor. I am. I am an actor. Uh, yeah. So I've I've been in um, I've been in two 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 movies. I've been in a, a few documentaries, but that's obviously not acting. But I have been in in, in two movies thus far, um, and I actually just got my first lead role that I'm going to be doing uh, later on this summer. We we're actually supposed to film that last year, but because of COVID, they pushed the entire production back uh, with the filming back an entire year. Or so. Um, but I'm working on that. Uh, but yeah, I got, I've been, I've been acting for, for a little bit. It's something that I fell into by sheer accident to be completely honest with you. But, uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's really given me a creative outlet. Um, Cause like I said, like what we just, like what we just got done talking about um, my life has been pretty, do- pretty dominated by, by activism and, and, and more serious things. And so not having a creative outlet for, almost my entire adult life has been a little bit challenging for me. Um, and so um, having that opportunity or having the opportunities that I have and the ones that I have coming up have been, have been very, very good for me mentally um, to be able to have that creative outlet. I think everyone should. And so, um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely been in a few movies. I'm excited to, uh, to film this one coming up here soon. So I could definitely like start going through like IMBD profile start doing that whole thing but what was what was your favorite one so far that you were able to act in the favorite one i've been able to do thus far is probably this last movie that i did it was um it's not it hasn't been released yet i, I did go to the rough cut premiere at the sedona film festival uh last year no maybe no it wasn't last year because no two a couple years ago um i went i went to that that was a lot of fun but it's it's a it's a movie that actually talks about um uh it's it's a it's a drama like it's a it's a film film and it's in the in the 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 general premise of the movie is it's a personal account or a personal story of of growth and realization that happens during um during uh, the, the, a protest, and in that in that in that movie, I uh, I play like a a head of security kind of guy, and you know throughout the movie, I'm constantly like giving this guy a hard time. So it was pretty it was pretty uh, it was pretty cool. But I've never been a part of a production that large before, and they had some really good actors on there. There was uh, we had David Arquette, we had um, uh, who, who was in the movie, um, we had Mariel Hemingway, and uh, it, it just and um, David Midthunder. There, there's a there's a few uh, a few big actors on there that I was really surprised to run into, and I felt a little intimidated because I had to share the screen with a lot of these guys, and they're all like 
professional, like they're, they're known actors. Like as soon as they mentioned the names, I knew exactly who they were talking about. When I was looking at the call list for the day, I was like, there's no way I'm doing a, a, a scene with David Arquette. Like that's wild to me. You know, Amy Smart is in it. She was huge in the, in the, in the early two thousands. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, a uh, easy, the, my, my, my favorite. I really enjoyed doing that doing that film and everyone was really nice and I really got a good perspective of, of what that I've only seen what a, what a movie looks like or a film is, is off of other films to just kind of backgrounds and documentaries the only thing that I can refer it to so being able to live it was was pretty was pretty special so yeah I enjoyed it what was that movie called it's called Heartland, Heartland? um it's actually yeah it's actually on the uh, I am my I am DB profile if you go there you can take a look at it again it hasn't been released yet um they're still working on some stuff, but again, I did see the rough cut premiere. I was actually really surprised at how well it looked. Um, not that I didn't expect it to look good, but you know, I just seen it kind of unfold and, and seeing the final product or a rough cut of the final product was pretty was pretty cool. But yeah, it's called Heartland. Um, it's by a, a production comp- company called um, um, Big uh, Big Picture Ranch. Um, it was, and that company has been primarily doing documentaries, so they've done a few. This is like their first attempt at like a drama. So it was a, a lot of lot of uh, excitement around it when we were filming it. One that, that I got hung up on when I was doing this research was Dark Ground. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in the trivia section was that this is like, a, I'm not sure how to describe it, but um, I, I want to say hoo hoots. That's, that's what we call like ghosts or spirits that we see. Mm-hmm. And that's what it reminded me of when I was looking at the the graphic for it, for the, the video cover or whatever. And it said that some of the actors were experiencing some weird things during filming. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was, that was the first time that I've ever, I ever filmed anything. And it, 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 it's a, it's, it's a horror movie. It's, it's based off of an actual account from the uh, directors, actually. They're, they're the directors and the writers for the movie. And so, you know, it was really cool because we got to when we were filming it, like they they were talking from personal experience. Like when this happened, it looked like this. So like, you know, having someone who, who actually like lived it and like can tell us what to do was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I mean, I they, definitely some people experienced some things, uh, some things on there um, and um, they talked about it. You know, we'd sit down after filming and someone would say, oh, I had this really weird dream or someone say, hey, I had this really weird, weird experience. And I'm not quite sure if it's because of it, just uh, just the general vibe of the film just kind of helped like subconsciously mess with us or what. I don't, I don't really know. I'm not going to sit here and say that that's true or not true, but that that's definitely what people were saying. So, yeah. The mind is really, really the biggest muscle in the body and can be very suggestive, I think, it is. sometimes. So. It is. And anyone who does any type of, of filming, um, one of the, the things that, you know, you're kind of taught and you, something that you kind of realize that makes, makes doing it easier is that you have to convince yourself that you are that person, right? So, like, if you're playing a role, it's not that you just like pretend to be that person. Like you have to convince yourself that you legitimately are that person. And some people take it a step further and they call them method actors. Those are people who don't break character at all. Like they, from the, from the moment they show up on set until they're done filming, they do not break character. Um, that's kind of like a, 
double-edged sword because I think you can get too in-depth into a role depending on how serious it is and what kind of movie we're, we're dealing with there. But, you know, uh, but yeah, I think we all, we're all guilty of that to a degree. I think, like, you know, it makes it easier to uh, to do that. And I think in the genre of horror, especially because like it's it's really hard to generate a like a sincere or a very convincing um, terror uh, sense of terror. Like it's hard to portray that on film if you're not really in that moment really terrified. Like it, that's that's a really hard thing to emulate when you're not really feeling it. So it makes it easier if you legitimately convince yourself of that. And I think that obviously plays a role as well. I'm really good at pretending that I really like people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 me too. I, uh, uh, on my personal life, uh, I've worked in retail for a long time. And so, you know, customer service and, and being passionate about product and stuff is definitely something that I, uh, I act every day, <laughs> basically. The customer service voice will kick in really, really quick when I really, really want something. Yeah. that's I work on that muscle every single day yeah, and yeah, we'll just be honest about that so you said that you're you're working on something new and it hasn't come out yet can we at least know the title are you able to talk about it a little bit uh well it's from the guys who uh wrote that first one uh the, the dark ground um it's called uh it's called Glastonbury it's actually same thing they've actually already created an IMDB about it so I'm not like saying anything that's not already out there but uh but it's about that it's uh Glastonbury is a is a is a I think it's a it's a mountain or it's a it's a small mountain range within the uh within Appalachia I believe somewhere on the east coast and this mountain has had a lot of um has had a lot of claims of mysterious disappearances and so the movie kind of talks about that and talks about a specific case within it and uh and my and my role is that I'm, I'm part of it part of an investigation that that goes and, and and tries to discover what's happening what's happening there um we're still figuring that out with within within uh film there's what they call table reads and that's where all the actors you get together and you literally just sit at the table and just go through the script you go through it you know however many times you need to until everyone's on the same page you get your timing down you get to kind of get a chance to know who you're working with kind of develop a relationship but then it gets translated on film much more convincingly obviously so uh, we've started doing table reads about it um we've, we've had a couple it's been a little difficult because of covid because we have to do it virtually which can kind of like if someone's audio is messed up then it like makes it it just throws a, a wrench in the yeah it just throws a wrench in the entire thing but uh but yeah uh, we've done a few of those and uh we're gonna we're gonna be filming that this summer and then the longest part of any movie is always post it's always a post-production it's cutting editing adding music adding special effects and all that stuff comes on later on down the line so i couldn't tell you when it's going to come out i would expect probably with a year or soon thereafter um, after we film this summer. Do you have like a specific role or a movie in mind that you're like, ah, I'd really love a shot at being able to, to portray that or work on that? So, uh, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. So the whole, how I got into acting, like I told, like I said, I kind of fell into it by sheer accident was, um, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Longmire um it was on amc and then i think netflix took it over it's about this sheriff who lives in wyoming and um investigates like a normal you know investigative cop show basically but 
in the in the in the show they they work very closely with um with the Cheyenne tribe and it's like so it talks about like the reservation and the border town issues like it, 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 that's what it's about it's really cool and I've known a lot of people who's played as played as extras on that show or who have played uh certain smaller speaking roles like I've known people who do that and so when I was a huge fan of the show and then uh someone sent me a thing one year one time and it said hey they're looking for people to act in Longmire and I was super excited about it. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to apply right now. Like I did like right then and there, I went and I, I, you send your, your headshot and you give them your height and weight and, you know, to, to see what, what role you could potentially film, even if it's just as an extra. And I did that. But when I went to apply for the, for the roles on the show, it took me to a website that kind of was dedicated only to native talent. Like it was just for native talent. That's all it was. And Longmire was on there. And then I just so happened to be scrolling after I applied and I saw that they were filming a movie here in, here in the state that I live in, which is Indiana. I saw that they were filming, they were looking for a Native American person to play in this movie. And I was like, there's no way, like there's no way because I, living here in Indiana, less than 1% of the entire population is Native American. So it's, there's not a whole lot of us. So I'm like, my, my chances are pretty high. You know what I mean? So uh, I went ahead and, and, uh, and, uh, and I went to apply for the, show, for the show, or I'm sorry, for the movie. And it, when I went to uh, apply, the casting call had already been closed. But for some reason, they were still accepting applications. So I sent it anyway. And I was like, well, you know, maybe an extra role, like extra, uh, roles an extra or something. Like, you know, um, that, that's, that's, that's what I'll do. And, um, and so I sent it out, I sent it out there. And then that's when they called me back and said, we want to, you know, have an audition for you. And I went, and I did that whole thing that way anyway, but, but point being kind of, sorry, I was getting off track there, but I, I really wanted to be on that show. And unfortunately that show is closed. And I feel like that's a huge missed opportunity because i actually did get a call back from Longmire and I was asked to be on the show like three years in a row. The problem is, is that they film in New Mexico and I live in Indiana and they'd give me like a week or two notice every year. They did it for three years straight, gave me a week's notice. And after every single time they'd offer, I'm like, I can't, I got, I got, I can't drive all the way to New Mexico to film for a couple of days and then come back in two weeks notice. Like I got work and family and I just can't do that. And, you know, and ever after every time they do that, I'd say, there's no way they're going to do it next year. And they would do it next year. And I was like, okay, now they're for sure. I've already turned it down twice. There's no way they're going to do it a third time. And they did do it a third time. I did it every year until the show was, was, was you know, kind of came to an end. Um, but if I could go back in time, if I can get any role right now, I wish I could go back in time and take those opportunities to be on that show because I'm just such a huge fan of it. <laughs> so no like comedy or rom-com sort of role? Um, I, I definitely would. Um, I definitely would. Uh, I would, I would love to, cause like up until this point, the only roles I've ever done on film have been, um, horror and then drama. So I would like to test those things. Like I would like to try my hand at comedy, but I feel like it's very much along the same lines of what I explained with horror. Like it's really hard to, to, you know, to, to convince a camera that you're funny. <laughs> I think that would be very difficult and challenging, but I would, I would love to give it a shot one day. I'd love to give it a shot. Yeah. So I think, I think if I had to choose a genre, it'd probably be, probably be comedy. I'm waiting for like a, a native or indigenous writer to write 
a movie, you know, smoke signals kind of hit it a little bit. Like yeah. indigenous people love, we're a whole different like beast when it comes to like romance and everything where <laughs> our sense of humor plays into everything. Like if yeah. I'm, if I'm giving you shit and teasing you, then I probably like you, but it's like to a whole different level. It's not just like cute little pokes at people. It's like a whole different level. Um, I probably made my husband cry more times than I probably should have when we first started dating. Cause that's just like a whole thing. But I think that's pretty general for native peoples. Like we just yeah. give people crap all the time. And I think because we live so close to a neighboring city, which is like four miles away of non-tribal people, they're always like, you guys are just so rude to everybody. Well, you wouldn't survive on the res. I know that. And it's just like, because you guys are just so mean. No, we're not. Like, that's like the nicest thing I could have said to my cousin. I don't think you understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Or people don't understand that. Wait, who's your mom? Oh, wait, what clan do you come from? Let's make sure we're not related. Oh, you're far enough away that I can't even trace it. We're good. We're good. Or I asked my grandma about you. We're good. Yeah, yeah, it's always up to the grandparents. They're the ones that have the final say. <laughs> but yeah, so, I think uh, native comedy is its own genre in itself. It's 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 a very unique uh, type of humor, and un- unless you're, it, and it, I I think for for people who aren't familiar with it, it it definitely comes off as as rude, or it can come off as like, you know, way over the top, sarc- sarcastic, even like it's it's its own thing. And uh, I miss that. I miss that so much. This is why I can't have a jobby job because when I do get into like a, a very professional setting, because also when there's awkwardness, when there's any sort of like disciplinary measure being taken, native people, our resiliency is in our sense of humor. So I, I crack jokes at probably the worst times. And I'm always like, dang it, I shouldn't have said that. That was really inappropriate, right? Like we, should, we shouldn't be talking like that. So I, I just tell myself, I'm probably not made for the professional field um, anymore, really. So, but I, if anybody hears this that writes movies, definitely start thinking about that. And you're going to have Che on there as like a, yeah, a yeah. role. So make sure you take a look at, at what he's got going on. So let's get into like, I'm going to call it the nitty gritty because this is, this is how I found you. And I I do want to be honest and transparent with our listeners because we've done, we were able to meet and kind of talk about what you've got going on with healing arrows and we'll come back around to that. But I thought it was really funny because um, your mom was emailing me before that meeting happened and she had talked about uh, us meeting at like a conference or something like that. And I was really racking my brain. I'm like, did I meet him? Is this the same person that I've been watching on TikTok that she's talking about? Because it was like really... It, I was trying to figure it out because I'm like, okay, so I just started following this guy on TikTok. He's super funny and he's native. So of course I got to follow him. Mm-hmm. And then I got this email about he- healing arrows and this new project that you guys have going on. And she was really just talking up this, like you guys um, have already met, there was a conference, you'd already talked about self-defense, this and that. And I'm like, I know Jim's a pretty common name for Navajo people. So that maybe there's more than one. I don't know. That's just a really weird coincidence if that's the case. And then uh, we got on that Zoom meeting and then immediately like you're biologically connected to everyone in that meeting. So I'm like, hey, mom, hey, sis sort of thing. And it was <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really funny. But I had initially came across you on TikTok. Yeah. And I just think all of your videos are the funniest things. Like I have to really prepare myself when I'm scrolling through TikTok because either I'll get one video that's super like it'll tug at your heartstrings, make you really emotional and and it's crazy because it's like 15 second videos and all of a sudden your whole day is ruined because you just had to tap into this like oh that poor child sort of thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, or you're, you're finding dance things. That's what I do on TikTok. I dance because that's just what I find fun. And then I have to prepare myself for when your videos come up because I'm like, he's going to say something so stupid. Like I have to like, <laughs> can't eat nothing, can't drink nothing. Just, and <laughs> my, my boys have noticed my face when they hear like, probably something that's going to be funny because you use a lot of sounds in your videos so they have to like prepare for it but they'll watch my face because immediately I'm like wait what's it gonna be so I have to say you are so hilarious on TikTok with all the things and your you said that you're a content creator um Mm. what is what even started this this TikTok for you oh man you know I, I I joke around I tell people that it was like peer pressure and, you know, and there is some truth to that. I think a lot of it had to do with, with, with peer pressure because I don't know. So I remember when TikTok first came out, I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Cause I, cause, cause you know, we come from like the era of Vine, right? So like, I remember Vines and even then I remember when Vines were very popular and I just, for some reason, it just never interested me whatsoever. I literally had no will to do it. I'd watch one every now and again, but it just wasn't. It just wasn't my thing. So I never really got interested in it. So when I saw TikTok, that's what I initially thought that it was. I think, like, oh, this is just a new vine. Like it's just the, the, the newer generation's vine. That's what that's basically what it is. And so I was actually like super resistant about it for a long, long time. And I'd actually got convinced to, to make an account just so I can watch videos, not to create anything, just to watch it. That was probably back in March. And I remember I had it for less than a day. I'm like, this is dumb. And I just, and I deleted the app and I never went back into it. Then fast forward around October and we had some people who come over, like we have community people and family and friends that come by all the time. My house is like a revolving door. So everyone comes here, but I've had so many people tell me like, dude, you have to like go on there and check it out. You have to go on there and check it out. Cause they'd show me it and I'd be like super like eye roll about it. And so they asked me and they asked me and probably about the fourth or fifth time I'm finally like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But I was joking. I was like, but if I don't like it, I'm like, you guys, have, you guys have to hear about it because I'm going to, I'm going to complain about this the entire time. And so uh, I tried it again and I was just kind of going through things. And then someone told me like, no, you have to look at the right content. Um, they're like, you have to look at the, the native TikTok stuff. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I had no, I'd never even heard of that. I was like native TikTok, what they have their own little section. Cause I didn't know how it worked back then. So I'm like, they have their own little thing. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So they started showing me and I started seeing all the culture, the dances, the, like the powwow dancers, the singing and the language revitalizations and the talking about uh, the issues. And again, at that time, I will even now still, a lot of my social media stuff is kind of aimed politically and you know in that sense and so it really piqued my interest and I wanted to be really supportive of that because I thought like what they were doing which which is what which what we didn't have with Vine there was no native at least not that I I can remember there was no native presence on Vine and so I didn't realize that they had one so I wanted to be a part of it so I went on there and I started one up and I started watching some videos and then I found the native humor and that's what really hooked me was the native humor and I just, like I told you, I miss it so much because I live out in Indiana and there's not a whole lot of it. So it just kind of helped me feel closer to home a little bit in that sense. And so I started getting really into it. And then they convinced me to do a video or two. And I did. Like, I really didn't expect anything to come of it. I just wanted to do like a, a couple short little videos. And I, and, and initially, like, I was ter- I was bad. I don't know if you've ever gone back in my, in my TikTok and gone to like the first few videos that I did. They're god awful videos. But I did them. And 
I think it was it was this really lucky timing because I started, I think it was like October 7th was the first time I ever did my very first video. I did it on October 7th. And then I think October 13th was Indigenous Peoples Day. And so I had actually put out a video, I think the day before um, Indigenous Peoples Day, where I sang a, I sang a really goofy round dance song. It's a, I don't know if you know who Macklemore is, that rapper Macklemore. I did, I, I turned one of his songs, Thrift Shop, into a round dance song. And so I sang that on, <laughs> I sang that on there the day, like a day or two before Indigenous Peoples Day. And that TikTok had highlighted all Indigenous creators on that day. So that video got just propelled out there. And I got, I just got, I think like within the first day I had like 70 something thousand views on it. Like it was, it was, it was intense for somebody who's only been on it for less than a week. And that's really what, what started it. And after that, I was just completely hooked. And I obviously, I, I, I even then started seeing like the, um, the, I saw it as a really good opportunity and a really good platform to network with uh, other indigenous people, whether it be through creative content or again, uh, you know, social justice things or through uh, movements or whatever, like I started seeing that kind of stuff too. And so it just, it just was kind of like a snowball effect, you know, where not only was it the entertainment side, but I felt like this is a really good platform because this is where the younger people are going to be. And uh, the habit presence on there, I think is really important regardless of how you get it. Um, it's as long as you spark a conversation, that's what matters. And so that's what I end up starting doing too. And it just kind of took off and, you know, here I am. So, uh, I think last I checked, I had 119,000 followers on there. So, um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been pretty, it's been pretty, pretty special. And I've met some really, really great people. Um, there's a really good, um, network that we have and, like a, we call ourselves like Res Talk family. It's a bunch of other indigenous creators. If you go on TikTok and you look the hashtag up Res, Res Talk family, you see all of us. And they're all people from all different types of backgrounds. We got singers, we got activists, we got, you know, comedians, we got um, just so many people, again, language revitalization experts. I mean, we have all these people and we've all created this really beautiful community that we that we talk with each other and network and uplift each other. And it's, so it's been a very positive experience for me. And so it just kind of helped me. And at that time we had COVID going on too, right? So, I mean, COVID was basically what pushed us, a lot of us, myself included, because that definitely played a role in it, to getting there was boredom. <laughs> Quite honestly, we were all told to stay home and I, I wanted to talk with people. And so that's what I, that's what I did. Uh, that's where I went. So, um, but, but fun story, I don't know if you remember Cola, but I've actually, we actually crossed paths years ago. I don't know if you, if you know that. Um, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Did we? We, we, well, kind of. So my, I'm a huge, I'm a huge MMA fan. I watch MMA religiously. I watch it at least every other day. Like not even kidding. I, I, I will watch it constantly. I was a boxer myself for four years. And so combat sports is something that I've always been drawn to. Even in the army, I was in combatives. I was, I did that. I, I went to a competition when I was there and I did fairly well. And so, uh, but yeah, I was a boxer for a long time and a few, I don't know, I'd say like three, maybe four years ago for my birthday, my wife got a hold of you on Instagram and asked if you would, as I, she wanted to get me a signed photo from an indigenous professional fighter. 
And so she asked you if you would sign a photo and send it for my birthday. And that's the first, that's the first time I came across you. I offended you the very next day on Instagram. What? Yeah. You don't, you I don't totally remember. Rem- no, I remember this because yeah. she was so specific about it. So I totally remember. And yeah, it's been like, because <laughs> <laughs> in true cola form, for some reason, once, once I meet someone new, this is that native humor. You get pregnant. So I <laughs> made my pro debut yeah. and my my baby is about to be four years old. So obviously nine months do the math. It's been like five years ago because I had my pro debut in Colorado. So at that time, somebody had said, you really that poster from King of the Cage, you really need to start printing those and push those out, autograph them, send them to people. Um and I had a group in particular, like we need like 50 of these cola because we have a women's group we really want to give them all to. So I, I remember a lot of the specific requests for it. And yeah. I remember Facebook, there was a lot of people like, can you send me one? Here's my address here. But she was so specific as to why she wanted that. So I totally remember it now because at the time I want to say that I, I was pregnant and I'm like, dang, people are still following me for my fighting. <laughs> Like after we've come out with this announcement about my pregnancy, people st- okay, like, let's keep this going. I remember that now. Yeah. That was my wife. That was for my birthday. All right. Well, yeah. happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, you were telling the story about it. I'm like, no, it was definitely before that. But you, yeah, that was, that was just another, but yeah, that was, uh, that was my first time. And I followed you on Instagram ever since then. And, oh, yeah, wow. Okay. Later on. And that's how that happens. Now, now we're here. So. Yeah, you know, and I was gonna say because you're talking about meeting like all these cool people on TikTok, and I was like, well, then you met me, but now like you've, I I don't feel bad. That's sarcasm for I do feel bad, <laughs> but I just thought it was. I think it's really funny because you're talking about vines. And you're like, we come from this vines era. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like we're the same age. We come from the MySpace era when. Nah, yeah, no, absolutely. When yeah. when these videos weren't a thing, and I had the same experience with TikTok as as you did, which was. Um, people kept talking about it. There was so much hype built about it. And this was like in March of last year. So I hopped on and I looked at it and I'm like, I really don't know about this. It's just too much video for me. I don't know if I really like it. Ah, oh, there's some funny stuff, but I couldn't get into the recording of it. It's really complicated if you yeah. aren't used to it. So it was really weird to me. So I was immediately like, nah, I don't really want to do this. Um, I'll just stick with Instagram. And I've been really try to boycott like Facebook. I didn't want to be on Facebook anymore. I used to be on Snapchat, got off of Snapchat. Um, people tease me for the reasons why I got off of those things, but it wasn't for the the inappropriate things that people were saying. I just like, I'm just so tired of social media right now. Yeah. Um, and then I think it was like in January of this year was when I was like, whoa, there's like dance challenges. We could do all this. And yeah, yeah. you have like an amazing following. You have like, like, like you said, 119,000 followers. And I'm sitting here with my measly like 300 and I'm still trying to figure <laughs> it out. And I keep getting told by each TikToker I've ever come across is like, you got to find your niche, find your niche, find, find it. And I'm like, how does one find it when you do everything? Like, it's really, really hard for me to really set on something and I even go back and look through my Instagram I'm like I do a lot of different things now Mm -hmm. I said fighting used to be my jam but it's kind of taking this shift because nobody's fighting anymore um not everybody wants to go to fight island and travel all the way over there but Mm -hmm. it's been really difficult so if someone were to try to start a TikTok and like you know really get into the recording and doing things on there and being more active and interactive what would be like two tips you can give someone two tips 
Um, you know, and I, I think part of what started it for me was because I was so ignorant to how it worked. <laughs> like I had no idea how TikTok worked. And the only frame of reference that I had social media wise, like I have a, an Instagram account. I do have Snapchat. Like I have those things. And, but I don't, I'm not very good at those. Like I, I, I was, I was, I've never been good at those. And not that I was ever trying to be good at it, but it, it, for me, I thought it was like Facebook, right? Like when you on Facebook and you post something, it really only shows up on people's feeds who are like your friends, people who have added you. They're people that you know. Like, so when I did TikTok the first time, that's what I thought it was. That's like, oh, I'm going to put a video out there and my friends are going to see it. And I realized that's not how that works at all. Like everyone can see it. You know, if you're profile is public anyone can find it and anyone can judge it <laughs> and so I did not know that and so not knowing that made me take a bigger leap of like I, I was I was able to put myself out there more without fear of like any type of blowback from it and that was because of my ignorance and so I didn't know that until again that couple of days later when I did that Macklemore video that's when I realized oh everyone can see this now I did I didn't I didn't know that um, but I think that really played in my favor because I was able to, so like my, my first tip I would tell someone is to, is to don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Like if you want, if that's what you want to do, you have to be able to, 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 to get over that. Cause I've met so many people who say that they want to do it, but they're just so scared. They're just so scared. They're just so scared. And I get it. Social media can be a very harsh place and there are just terrible people on there there are it's absolutely a thing and that's true on any social media platform really you're going to have people who have conflicting views you're going to have people who who aren't going to like what you're doing and that's and that's okay you're like it's fine but 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 you know you don't really know what's you know it's kind of the, it's kind of cliche but it's like you know you you miss 100 percent of the shots you never take and so if you don't ever truly commit to it if you don't ever truly put yourself out there and show the, the world who you are then you're never going to get it. So, you know, that would be my first tip is just for one, just put yourself out there. You know, don't be, you'd be really surprised how many, how much support you will get on some videos from, from random people. Like it's happened to me a thousand times where I put something out there. And um, in fact, obviously it's happened 119,000 times, you know, where someone really enjoys and, and, and they really, you know, they really, um, support what you're doing and so you know um you'd be really surprised i've seen so many people um who have let's say disabilities or they have challenges in life or they have obstacles that they that they talk about and they kind of put themselves out there that way and the the, the support that i see from those things have just been amazing you know um that's those are my favorite videos honestly are the ones of people who talk about those kind of things and all the love and support they get from random people is just is just amazing and i've been fortunate enough to been a part of it and received it so um that would be my first thing is just you know don't be afraid to put yourself out there um because the other thing too is there's also millions of people on that app so i mean you know you're what you're it's just a, it's a it's a sea of people so you know everyone's doing it at the same time so you gotta you know put yourself on the dance floor a little bit that in that sense and the other thing i would say would um if anyone's trying to grow an account would be consistency you know no one really wants to follow anyone that posts a video once every three months you know they're going to want to someone who's going to be putting out stuff 
you know, fairly regularly. You know, I, I do believe that like any other thing, not only in social media terms, but also just in life, you know, you're going to have points where you just need to back off a little bit. I've done that. You know, I've taken a week or two hiatus from it once or twice and yeah, that's okay. You know, but you know, but I think generally speaking, if you are trying to grow an account, you have to, you have to put out consistent content, you know, cause it, it really builds your demographic. You know, the thing about TikTok is that they have algorithm and they will push your video out to people who are interested in those hashtags or interested who, who have a history of liking those kind of videos. That's who it goes to. But if you don't put out enough information, then they can't push it to the right places. You know what I'm saying? So that would be my next, my next tip for someone would be, okay, so just don't, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and be consistent and have fun. I mean, obviously that's, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing is that you have to, you have to enjoy what you're doing, you know, be yourself, be genuine, you know, people can sense, people can smell fake from a mile away. So, you know, be, be exactly who you are and, and don't be afraid uh, to be yourself. So. Absolutely. I agree with um, both of those points and I hope someone is able to pick that up from that. And, you know, for me personally, because I really haven't found like the exact what I'm getting into on TikTok. And I, I I have fun with it. I really do. It's more of just almost like this, my little diary, dear Cola, you dance like this today sort of thing. I don't think there's a whole lot of people that really want to see more and more dance challenge videos because there's so many people on there that are doing all the same things. But I just have fun with it. And it allows for me just to zone out for a little bit, probably yeah. for a little bit too long every day. But there was my only video that has probably gotten on my profile the most views. And then when I posted it to Instagram, it got like a really weird response. It was the one where I was saying, stop using the word savage because I am part of a group of women who are full of empowerment, love and support. I love each and every one of these ladies. I'm actually going to get the chance to meet all of them in September, but they have a tendency of throwing around some words without the education behind why people use those words now. And so that's where that video came from. I had a conversation with one of the ladies who's actually black and she was saying, I really don't like it when people use the word beast mode. She's like, there was a reason why people started using that because that's how they referred to black people in those ships. We were beasts, we were livestock. So she's like, in this group, I don't really like it when people are saying go beast mode or you're a full on beast. And I said, well, I feel the same way about the word savage. Not a lot of people know where that knows where that come from so we had this open conversation about it and she was like educate me on this tell me tell me what that means because our, our people were described in that way as well and so after we started talking about it more started realize she's like I don't think a lot of the girls in the group understand um the the negative context that the word savage could carry and why it's been changed yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use this as a little bit of an education point. And it was more of like non-native people stop using the word savage when you don't really know. And so a lot of people in that group came at me of like, wow, I've been really ignorant to this. I had no idea that it's actually still in a, a piece of government documentation that we're still upholding today. Like, it's so crazy that we don't talk about this more. And I'm like, of course, this is the whitewashed version of history that you guys are being taught. You're not being yeah. shown everything that's happened to our people. And then I would get the other side where there's natives that were like, I still like to use it. I'm like, I'm not saying don't use it. I'm just saying like, let's educate, let's continue informing and educating. It's not really our job, but if you hear people saying it, like let's inform. And then the other side of the extreme side was I would get some of these girls, um, these other native girls that were coming at me, like I have every right to use this word. I'm redefining it. I'm taking it because it was negative towards our people, this and that. And then the next 
post I see of them is them in like this horribly put together outfit and trying to show off their Indian butt. I'm like, wait, what are we we doing? What's going on now? That is, that does not make you savage. What are you doing? Put that away. I'm like, God, (laughs) I'm like showing my husband. I'm like, this girl really just tried to argue with me about using this word. And then she wants to post this. Oh my goodness. And I had even given these people an opportunity. Like, let's open up the conversation. Let's talk about this. But I say all this just because you have to be ready for even the negatives that come with uh, such an open platform like this, because it did open up the gates to people that I had never even met, never even heard of. They've never followed me on Instagram or even on Facebook because when they went to go look me up, they were like, Oh, you're a fighter. Like, dang it. I can't really argue with you because you could probably kick my ass or something. And I'm like, that's not even the point I'm trying to bring up right now. But um, so yeah, there's sometimes there's backlash in such open forums like TikTok. Uh, have you had any sort of ne- negative experience like that with with your content creation? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely every day. Um, you know, because like I said, I don't really like. So in my 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 thing, right? Is 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 comedy? Like if you go to my TikTok, it's almost entirely comedic. It's just it's 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 comedy. But I also believe in starting a dialogue like in the exact same sense that you're talking about, like, you know, but I just go about it differently through comedy, through humor, you know, I'll make a video that is kind of poking fun at the, at, at the, you know, let's say negative stereotypes or there were, we're, we're laughing at, you know, the ignorance that we experience or we laugh about, you know, I heard someone say it once they're like, you know, like native people are the only pe- only people you can actively oppress and they'll still find a way to laugh at you. Like, you know, we were, we will make fun of you, you know, regardless of whatever. And so I've made videos where, you know, we're, ta- we're, we're talk about um, treaty rights or land rights or water rights or whatever. And, you know, we're just, and I'll just make fun of the, you know, the entire ignorant mindset that causes those problems to exist in the first place. And you get some pretty strong responses from people who are, you know, pro pipeline. They're, you know, um, you know, they're, they stand really heavily against immigration and like all these other things. And I, and I get those things all the time. And uh, so, you know, I haven't received a whole lot of like, threats but i've definitely received those as well you know the people get up they super super upset and um you know they they definitely push it too far and you know get kind of carried away with it so but i've definitely experienced it but you know um but it's it kind of goes around those same lines you know i think if we're if if, if we if we're going to be wanting if we're wanting and willing to have positive conversations you have to be you have to expect the negative ones. You're going to have to expect those negative experiences because people do have their own thoughts. They do have their own, their own perspectives. And, you know, they, they, they come from their own backgrounds or whether or not it's right or wrong, that's obviously up for debate, but, you know, uh, but it does spark that conversation because I've seen, I've had a lot of people also reach out to me and said, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea that that's, that that's what happened. And uh, when I was seeing all the comments of, you know, the negative people on your page, I realized that this is a big problem like that. In fact, that happened to me, I think a couple of days ago, actually, someone wrote, wrote to me because I put a video out there that was making fun of cultural appropriation in regards to mascots and costumes. I put a video out there about it where, you know, 
in the video, it's like you're at a party and there's like some people wearing a native mascot thing. And the next thing you know, like the next shot is like you're in court <laughs> defending why you, you know, reacted the way that you did in the video. Um, but someone had wrote me and they said, you know, they told me they're like, you know, I like they said seven years ago, they, well, they wrote me and they're like, I want to apologize because seven years ago I went to a costume party and I dressed up as, you know, Pocahontas or whatever. And at the time I was just really ignorant and I had no idea that it was, it was just big of an issue. And they go, you know, and I've seen so many videos lately that kind of are, are talking about that problem. And I feel really bad because I was a perpetuator of it. And I want to apologize to you. And I want to let you know that, you know, if there's any resources or anything that I can do or whatever. And like you said, it's really not our responsibility to educate people on those things, but I, I, I do encourage it. I'm like, you know, I, I think it takes a very strong person to admit that. Um, and I think that, you know, you are taking the first steps, which is reaching out and next, you know, but you got to find your own path in that sense, you know? Um, but, you know, that's just a kind of a small example, but I've received tons of those. I've received so many people reaching out to me and saying, I have, I had no idea that that was even, that, that was wrong to do, you know? Um, whether it be the dress up or I've even had it where people were, were sad and upset uh, or not, sad or upset but they were regretful in how they didn't know that you know the role of like let's say sage and and that and i've been using it i realized that i've been taking something that doesn't really belong to me and i'm implementing it into my own whatever whatever they got whatever they're doing you know i've had those too so you know um but it sparks a conversation and i think you got to be willing to take the, the the good with the bad you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put yourself out there, you can make yourself the focal point of those kind of things. You kind of have to expect it. I'm really surprised that you didn't get more backlash on trying to flip your fry bread without a utensil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did. I did get a, I did get a little bit of that. And truth be told, I still, I still can't do it, but I just remember <laughs> when I was, uh, uh, I could do tortillas. I could flip tortillas without that, but th that boiling hot grease, I've never been able to, to, to handle that. I still got scars on my wrist from like when I was like in high school and I'd make it at home where the grease would come up and bite me. I've never been able to figure it out. Hopefully one day I will, but, but yeah. There's, I, don't there's... How, I don't know how people do it for a living. Like where they're able to just go pow out to pow out and just be out in the heat making fry bread. Right. Yeah. I, I have no idea. It's, it's an art in itself and it someone should art. really take up on doing more uh, like a docu-series on that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, all right, Tate. So we've covered so many different things today and this has been an amazing conversation and each episode with a guest, I like to end it with some rapid fire questions. And this is really fun because you can't explain your answer. It's really the best you can. One word answer. They're really, really quick. So. If you had a red carpet moment, what's your outfit going to look like? Outfit. So I, I actually did have a red carpet moment when I was at, um, but suit, hands down. With all the turquoise you can find, right? All the turquoise I can find, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then on average, how much time would you say that you spend on creating content for TikTok? A couple hours. And what's your current Netflix and chill? What you got going on in Netflix? Netflix. Um, 
not Netflix, but I have been watching Discovery Plus, and I have been really into um, Expedition Unknown. Perfect. You know, Che, it has been really amazing to sit down and talk with you. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with before we sign off? I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity. This was honestly my my first podcast, so I was really, really nervous about it, as you can tell in the beginning, because I couldn't remember my clans, but uh, but it was good. Uh, so I wanted to say thank you uh, for all that, you're, all that you do and all the work that you're doing. I look forward to working uh, with you and getting to know you a little bit better, hopefully here soon, and uh, um, let everyone know they're at home that I appreciate their listening, and, you know, and yeah, just thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Enough is Enough podcast. If you would like more information on our host, guests, or podcast episodes, please visit us on Instagram at EIE541. 